the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello again, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Rescuers radio show. Heard at faithtalk1360.com and faithtalk1360 over the air every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. And I'm very blessed to have in my studio, right across from me, the vast studio table that we have here. In uh, at Salem Broadcasting, uh, Dr. Brenda Combs. Good morning. So glad you're here. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. I was the drive-in from Levine. Was <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't too. I ten wasn't necessarily a parking lot. It yeah. was. It was kind of moving today. Yeah, so. well, that's good. <laughs> Even if it's moving slowly. It's still moving. That's yeah, a, that's important. So. Um, we're going to start off, uh, Brenda, learning uh, our audience needs to know who you are. Okay. And uh, and we'd like to hear your backstory on how you got here to this point in your life. All righty. So the door's open for you. All righty. Well, uh, my name's Brenda Combs. I originate from Mississippi, and I proudly admit it. <laughs> you, do you know who I just interviewed last week? Who? Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Perkins. Oh, that you, you told me that. That's yeah. right. Yes, yeah. yes. Also from Mississippi. Yeah. I love Mississippi. So I'm from Mississippi, but I was raised in northern Arizona up in Flagstaff. Okay. Went to Flag High, Flag yeah. High, and um, also went to, attended uh, NAU. But initially, um, my story actually starts when I was about five. And it was my first dealing with discrimination and lack of self-love and self-esteem. So um, I ended up going to the, back in the days when they did busing, so I went from my neighborhood to an an all-white school, and I was the only black girl in my class. And uh, there was this one kid. There's always one. There's always a bully. <laughs> I don't care wh- wh- what group you're in, but there's always a, a, a bully. And this one kid, Grover, for whatever the reason, he did not like me. And um, one day on the playground, he ran up to me and spit in my face, called me the N-word, oh, and ran off. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the word. Yeah. So I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it was something bad. Yeah. And I ran up to my teacher and I told her, you know, Grover spit in my face. And she looked at me and I'm I'm waiting for her to like, you know, protect me. And she said, Brenda, wipe your face off and get in line. Like she yelled at me like I was the problem. Oh, my gosh. And from I was crushed 
from that moment on. And yeah. school became very difficult for me. Oh, so eventually my parents, you know, took me out of that school, put me in the neighborhood school. Now I got another issue because now I'm in my neighborhood school and I grew up in a um, predominantly black Hispanic, Native American community. So now I go back to that community, and now people are making fun of me because they say, oh, I speak proper English. I sp- I'm talking like a white girl. Oh so I'm, I'm getting you know, both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So to make a long story short, I decided I'm just going to graduate from high school because it's these kids. They're the problem. Mm-hmm. Went to summer school, graduated a year before my graduating class, started college and realized I didn't fit in with that crowd either because they were mature. They were part. I just I knew nothing. I was just a child trying to find out who I was. Yeah. But I lacked self-confidence and self-esteem. But I did meet a group of girls, my God, who welcomed everyone in. And that's the party group. (laughs) And they welcomed me with open arms. And I felt like I fit in. So I did everything that I could to stay a part of that group. Partying. The difference was those girls could party and get up and go to class. And I couldn't. Mm. And I ended up dropping out of school while they graduated. And being in the party group, I just expanded my group of friends. And eventually the drug friends were introduced to me. And because I wanted to fit in, I gravitated towards them. And then crack was introduced to me. And my whole life changed from that moment. From the moment I took that first hit, that's all I wanted. And so I found myself, you know, working and going to the dope house and going home. If I remember from your book, it also the other another crisis was that because you were trying to hurry up to graduate, right? Yes. You were actually taking more classes than you needed to take. And that just added to the pressure. More pressure. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it was more pressure because for me, I felt like I'm doing something special. Maybe people will love me more or mm. like me more because that's not that's not really something people do in high school. Yeah. You do that to graduate from college early, but typically not in high school. But I just felt like if I was in college, I would have real friends. Mm. And so my whole thing was to just hurry up and get out of high school. And my parents were okay with it because, you know, it kept kept me busy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, but but with the whole crack thing, eventually I found myself going from work to the dope house back to work to the dope house. And eventually one day I went to the dope house and never left. Mm. So I lost my job. I lost my apartment. I eventually was living in my car. I eventually sold the car for drugs and eventually found my way in Phoenix, Arizona, underneath the 7th Avenue Bridge in downtown Phoenix, homeless, you know, just. And before I knew it, it was a decade of homelessness. And in that time frame, I was shot, stabbed, robbed, um, hit by a car, overdosed, of course, tried to commit suicide because, you know, people like myself, you know, who feel no value, we feel like we're offering nothing to the world and, you know, there's nothing coming our way. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I tried to commit suicide because I thought even God didn't love me, you know. And um, but it all changed one day when I woke up in Crack Alley. (laughs) It was 115 degrees outside behind the dope house. Um, actually, it was closer to McDowell when I originally started my journey and passed out, woke up in the alley, and ended up having to walk a mile uh, with no shoes on. 
on that hot day in June, 115 degrees, blistering. And by the time I made it down to University Park, I had cuts, burns. I believe I had second and third degree burns. My feet were cut. They were bleeding. I was in excruciating pain. And I made it to the park where the homeless were. And for the first time in 10 years, I literally looked around the environment that I was in, and I finally said, God, Brenda, what are you doing? There has to be, God, please, please save me Mm -hmm. or take me Mm because I I can't do this. And so for the first time in 10 years, I just said my prayers. Wow. I just prayed. You had little... uh, You had little insights to faith, though, along your your journey. Mm -hmm. You're a great singer and pianist. You learned that at a very early age. Five. So you had some church uh, interaction in the middle of your crack days or somewhere in there, right? Well, from the time— Singing a little bit and playing a little bit. Yeah, from the time I was five up until high school or even college, um, I grew up in the church. My parents took us to church. We went to church as a family, Sunday school. I was in youth choir. I sat down at the piano at the age of five, <laughs> and my mother was taking piano lessons. And um, at the time, she was trying to play What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And she'd get to the same spot, and she'd mess up. I, I think I heard the song in my sleep because one day um, during her piano lesson, her and the piano teacher went in the kitchen to have some tea, and I According to my mother, I climbed up on the piano seat because I was not tall enough. I had to step on, like, phone books and just started playing What a Friend We Have in Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you ask my boys that, what is a phone book? (laughs) And I started playing What a Friend We Have in Jesus in the key of F. And I remember my mother and and the piano teacher came out of the kitchen and just the look on their face was like, oh, my God. And I remember my mom crying, and she never played the piano from that day on. But she she did pay for me to have lessons so that I could learn to read music. But I learned how to play just—it was a gift from God. It was my gift. And so all throughout that time, yes, I was in church. I was a believer. Uh, I was baptized. Um, I believe, you know, uh, in Jesus. I— Believe in prayer. I, I, I'm just a believer. It, it made sense to me. That's just the way that we were raised. So I never had any doubt about my faith. However, when trying to find myself as a person, I actually felt like I wasn't good enough. Mm. You know, I've made so many mistakes. Mm. Now I'm a drug addict. Surely God has no room for me in heaven. You know, um, not thinking that, you know, God, if I just ask for forgiveness— that he would forgive my sin and, and I could move on. Yeah. But, you know, I was so caught up in me and my selfishness and being self-centered that I couldn't even realize through my faith that even God loved me. And, and, and also, I will add that I also know that during my time of homelessness that God saved me many times because, yes, I was homeless. Yes, I did get shot, stabbed, raped, burned with cigarettes, hit by a car. I went through a lot of trauma and a lot of dramatic, um, abusive relationships. But God knew then that I was going to take those experiences and use them in the future to share with people forgiveness, compassion, love, 
and let other people know that you too can get through these you know they were terrible i mean i can't deny them yes they were terrible situations but you know today I'm able to share with people how, yes, you can even use a traumatic, bad situation to witness to people and to let them know that, yes, you are loved and you can ask for forgiveness. You can get through them and move forward. So moving forward, uh, you found a way out and and you finally found you. There are multiple times of going into uh, rehab centers. Thirteen. Thirteen. (laughs) And and. but you finally made it through all of that to a, a sober point. Education came your way. Talk about that. So when I finally made it out of addiction, and this is just my story. Yes. My story is, is that I asked God to heal me so that I could recover from not only addiction, but that hopeless state of mind. Mm-hmm. And um, for me... I know that God healed me and I have recovered. For some people, they need to use the verbiage that they are still an alcoholic but in recovery. For me, I couldn't use that verbiage because I'm such a literal person that I need to recover. Mm -hmm. I know that the same God that raised the dead, that healed the sick, that made the blind to see is the same God that could make me, Brenda Combs, recover from my addiction so that I'm not living the rest of my life in recovery because he healed me. So that um, I always want to share with people, but that's my story. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's what God did for me. And so even though I went through 13 programs, none of those programs, they were all the same. The location was different. Maybe the decor was different, but the basic program was the same. The difference was I was ready to listen and to take some suggestions. That was the difference. All of the abuse, all of the, your string of adjectives was pretty graphic, (laughs) right? Uh, So, and, and you didn't believe you'd ever get past that. I didn't think that I'd ever get past that. But when I made it into the 13th program, I just decided, you know what? The people running this program have something I don't have. They appear to have peace of mind and happiness. Mm -hmm. And so this time on number 13, I'm going to do everything they suggest and tell me to do, even if I don't like it, because, you know, it hasn't worked for me before because I still tried to do it my way. So I'm going to take their suggestions. And the the interesting thing is their suggestions were the same as the very first time. (laughs) Make good choices. You know, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling something, call someone. Mm -hmm. You know, don't feel like you have to go through this alone. Believe in yourself. Go to a meeting. Pray. You know, whatever works for you. So I just took those suggestions and I made it through. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, well... Oh, so, so and that's all here in Phoenix, right? It's all here in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, they did give me one suggestion was to not go into a relationship until you're at least two years clean because you'll take your focus off of your recovery and your sobriety and you focus on that person, which is true. Yeah. I didn't take their suggestion <laughs> and uh, married a man um, from rehab and we had a beautiful son, Michael. Um, who suffered a massive stroke at birth and had uh, multiple disabilities. And then, of course, I stayed clean. My now ex-husband didn't. And so the relationship didn't work out. So it was a bit of a struggle being a single mom. And that is what led me into realizing, 
yeah, I'm I'm clean, but I'm still not happy and I'm still not at peace. I still don't know what I want to do with my life other than I'm clean. And so that's when I decided I needed to go back to school and get an education because I had limited myself on choices and options because I had no education. And once I made it back into school, it was like something inside of me was set on fire. Well, and and it seems like step by step, people were coming into your life to make that happen for you. Uh, GCU is where you went and you went through the doctorate program somebody had to pay for all of that, and you found someone that gifted you that, right? Well, GCU did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Richardson, Mr. Richardson. Brent Richardson, um, at the time, who was the CEO and um, director of uh, Grand Canyon University, uh, surprised me (laughs) with a full-ride scholarship, like, you know, $100,000 to pay for my doctorate. And I was the first student enrolled in their doctoral program and in the first class of graduating doctors from Grand Canyon University. And um, that having that degree, having all of my degrees, my undergrad I got from University of Phoenix in human services, my master's in special education at GCU, and then my doctorate. And um, and in the middle of my doctorate, I met my now husband, who also was homeless for 20 years, uh, saw me on TV, saw me on the Today Show, and it inspired him like, oh my God, I know this I know her personally, and she was a drug addict that was homeless for years. And it's like, my God, if she can do it, I can do it. And he thanked me for sharing my story because had he not seen it, he he just didn't think, you know, that he could do it. You know, he was a convicted isn't felon. That, isn't that cool that you inspired him? And he, he had no idea, right? Had no yeah. clue. Many people. So he was in prison? Uh, he went to prison for five years. Uh, he did five years and got out of prison. And, you know, you get out of prison and you're like, you know, hey, you know, not only am I a convicted felon, I'm a black man in a, in America with a criminal record, with no education. The odds are not in my favor to be successful. And then he sees this former <laughs> drug addict on national TV sharing how she overcame addiction and homelessness and got an education and like, you know, man, well, there's hope for me. Yeah. That's what he told me. Yeah. He, he said, Brenda, you encouraged me that there was hope for me. Now, today he has two master's degrees. Wow. <laughs> uh, he's a, a case manager, uh, peer support. Uh, he's working on getting his um, license for professional counseling. And we opened a business together. So it just goes to show nothing's impossible. As long as you, you know, make the right choice, do the right thing when no one's watching and believe in yourself, you can make it. Yeah. And what's impossible for us is always possible for God, right? Yeah. So um, I got to ask you, the, the theme, you have a theme to your story, back, a backstory on shoes, <laughs> what is that about? Oh, yeah. now, here she said, you can't see this, folks. Red <laughs> tennis shoes on the front of her sweatshirt. Where, she, where we go? Well, my theme is that had the person who stole my shoes when I was homeless mm-hmm. not stolen my shoes, I probably wouldn't be here. Because they stole my shoes, it forced me to go and turn myself in because I was on the run from the law. Wow. And when I turned myself in, 
Um, I went and turned myself in, and I had a, a probation officer who, my God, I love this woman to this day. Her name is Michelle. I won't say her last name, just... But she saw something in me when I went and turned myself in and I had absconded. So she had every right to sign the warrant for my arrest to send me to prison. And when I walked into her office, smelly, dirty, homeless, she shook my hand. Wow. And she looked me in the face and she said, Brenda Combs, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about you. There's something different about you. Putting you in jail is not going to help you or society. So I'm going to give you yet again one more opportunity. This was probably like the 23rd opportunity, you know, of opportunities. But she gave me an opportunity to yet go into treatment one more time. Mm -hmm. And that was the the 13th one was the one that is because she believed in me. And she encouraged me to get counseling. She sent me to the Center Against Sexual Abuse. She sent me to uh, assertive training, assertiveness training classes. And um, she uh, encouraged me to take uh, self-esteem classes. And it made all the difference. But she believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And I just took that chance of whatever she told me to do, I just do did it. it. Do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I made it through. And, and here I am this year uh, in June. I'll be celebrating 26 years. Of sobriety. Yeah. Wow. 26 years. Congratulations. That's so awesome. Yeah. So um, um, I, I, I've, I interviewed um, Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you know of her. Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was 17... Uh, she and her sister were back in the East Coast at Chesapeake Bay, and they were jumping in the lake. Does she have an? I know, I know this. She's story. a quadriplegic. Yes, I was going to say she had an accident. I'm, and, I'm telling yes, you this okay. because of her. Her life saying is from a scripture, Romans eight twenty eight, which we're all familiar with. Things will c- turn out to his good for those that love him. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's not remembered when you're. Re- everybody says, "Oh, it'll turn out okay." Yeah. Well, for her. She took that scripture, and for her, and I think this applies to your life as I hear you talking today, God will allow something he hates to achieve something he loves. I agree. How awesome is that? I totally That's agree. That's your life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, yeah. he didn't like all that that was happening with you. He didn't like those decisions. He didn't like any of that, but you stayed on course with him when you needed it most, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, even when I was a homeless crackhead, people knew that I was a Christian because I was still saying, you know, <laughs> on the days when I was like, you know, on the days when I was able to get food and I felt okay, I would sing sometimes. But, you know, um, my scripture, I remember after being clean, and I would always say, you know what, God, you always speak to other people. I never, I, I don't hear your voice. People are like, oh, yeah, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. And I was like, Lord, what is it you want me to do? You know, please. I, I It has to be plain yeah. for me. And so I opened my Bible, literally, yep. and I said, okay, God, I, I'm going to try it. Please speak to me. And I just, I literally just put it down and it popped open and I put my finger down. And when I looked at it, it was on First Peter 5 and 2. And it said, feed the flock of God that is among you, amongst you. And I was preparing at that time to go down and look for Pops, 
who was homeless, to, to give him some hygiene, some food, and some water. And that was God saying, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to feed the flock that is among you. And so that's how finding my shoes came about. Like, okay, I'm going to go down there. And I was like, you know, and maybe I'll find the person that took my shoes and I'm going to tell them thank you. <laughs> because had I had my shoes not been stolen, I know that I wouldn't have turned myself in because I went and turned myself in because, you know, the day that my shoes were stolen, I turned myself in because I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I'm going to die. And, yeah. We're within two minutes of the, <laughs> the end of the program. It's just, just flown by. And what, what, a, what a pleasure it is to get to know you. And um, so at, at the, before we sign off the program, I, I'd like to know uh, – COVID probably even made living on the streets harder. It was harder for everybody. So we live in this upside down world, right? Yeah. And um, what what do you think your legacy? You, you've been on every national TV broadcast now in, in America that's popular. You're worldwide. Wide. You've been on CNN and some other worldwide networks. And now you're here on the Rescue, Rescuers Radio Show. <laughs> Thank you very much. But... Um, um, what's it going to be like for you? What's your legacy going to be? I think my legacy is going to be with my, my boys is that, you know, I firmly believe that we already have the answer to all of our world problems. And that is love is the answer by making the right choice, yes. doing the right thing, even when no one is watching and practice love, compassion and forgiveness. Amen, sister. I'm so glad you were here today, Dr. <laughs> Brenda Combs. And uh, you've been listening to the Rescuers Radio Show. It's heard on podcasts, wherever you can find a podcast, iCast on iTunes or uh, Spotify or uh, Facebook, Instagram. You'll find, just look up Rescuers Radio Show and you'll find us. God bless. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.